ready, fire, aim. If you've spent too much time analyzing, you're never going to get it done. Sometimes you just have to jump in and learn from experience rather than spreadsheet yourself to death. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Avery Carl, how you doing, Avery? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It is my pleasure and I'm doing well. Looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Avery. She is the CEO of the short-term shop brokered by eXp Realty. She's a top 1% real estate agent and short-term rental expert. She bought her first rental property at 26 and has scaled to 24 doors five years later and has connected investors with over $125 million in cash-flowing short-term rental investments based in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So with that being said, Avery, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my real estate investment journey probably the same way everyone else has with having a corporate gig that I was unhappy with. My husband and I moved to Nashville from New York City and our real estate agent at the time before I was licensed was really trying to get us to buy in East Nashville, which is a super hipster part of Nashville because the appreciation was really great, but we didn't want any neighbors coming from Brooklyn. We were sick of neighbors. So we moved out to the country, but the appreciation sounded kind of nice to us. So we started exploring buying a rental property, saved up. My husband sold his 66 El Camino with flames on it for the (laughs) payment. And we bought our first one. We had no idea what we were doing. We had not discovered any podcast or read any books or any investment resources at all. But luckily, that first one ended up being really good. Cash flow, we're cash flowing a thousand bucks on top of the mortgage. We still have that one. So then we decided, okay, well, we want to scale this thing. So then we did start reading books and listening to podcasts and going down all the roads that people go down when they want to learn about this stuff. And Nashville was just getting too expensive for us to be able to make money on long terms. So we thought about short terms. Nashville is really scary with the short-term rental regulations. So we said, we don't want to do that. So we went a few hours east of Nashville to the Smoky Mountains because it's a true vacation rental market. People have been renting privately owned cabins on an overnight basis since the 70s. So super safe place to invest in short terms. Bought our first one there when I was 27, scaled that to five within a year. And then our strategy from there has been to take all of that super heavy income from those short terms and roll that over into more long-term investments. Those five short-term rentals have bought us 18 long-term doors since we got. So yeah, it's been a really good strategy for scaling quickly a lot faster than if we would have just stuck with single family long term. So uh, that's been what we've been doing. That's interesting. I don't think I've spoken to someone who's positioned it this way, where you're using your 
short-term rental income and then buying long-term rentals. It's similar to a wholesaler who is taking his or her profits from wholesaling deals and buying long-term rentals so that they're actually building that residual income for the long-term versus making chunks of change on transactions. You mentioned that Nashville wouldn't work for this or it wasn't the model that you're wanting. Will you elaborate on that? Yeah. So much like a lot of the big metro areas right now, short-term rentals is kind of something that's popped up as of the past 10 years. And since it's an area where when people come to visit, they've historically stayed in hotels and not single families. It's an area where people are buying single family properties that are in residential neighborhoods and then people are throwing bachelor parties next to grandma and grandpa's house. So the city council is really, really trying to cut down, pretty much get rid of altogether short-term rentals. And we just didn't want to have to worry about that. Mm. They're passing anti-STR regulation after anti-STR regulation. So it's just a little- SDR is that? Oh, STR, short-term. Oh, STR. Okay, cool. Figured that. Okay. So the political climate says you see the writing on the wall, no short-term rentals, so you move somewhere else. How far away is the location where you bought from Nashville? About three hours. So we self-manage all of ours basically remotely. We're closing on one in our other market in Destin, Florida, which is about nine hours from here in February. So we self-manage all of ours. We don't use property managers just because... They significantly reduce the amount of cash flow. The average cost for a property manager is 20% of your gross. So even if I paid a property manager 10%, that's $30,000 a year. I can go get another property with that. So there is a time and a place for property managers, but for people who are really looking to bootstrap and cash flow and get that money going to scale quickly, self-management remotely is a totally doable option and it really is the way to go. Before we move on to some mechanics and logistics of managing remotely, in terms of the area, how do you assess if the area is the right area for short-term rentals? That's a really good question. So I grew up in Mississippi. So the two areas that I identified came to mind initially because they were places that I went as a kid where my family would rent a house and not stay in a hotel for vacation. So That's where the thought came from. Now there's all kinds of lists on Forbes and Picasa.com about best places to invest in short-term rentals. And both of these markets are on there. But for me, it was just, okay, where can I buy something that it's always been what people do to rent a privately owned residence overnight? And these are the two markets that we came up with. Did you say the Casa or Picasa.com? The Casa, V-A-C-A-S-A. They're just a big national property manager and they put out a lot of data on short-term rentals and best places to invest. Okay. Got it. So the two markets that you identified are which ones? The Smoky Mountain area of Tennessee. So that's the Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville area. And then the Emerald Coast of Florida, which is the Panhandle basically. So the Destin, Panama City Beach area. And do you do any research on what ordinance or coming up or have been passed recently that might affect you? Oh yeah, we definitely take a look at that. But the beauty of vacation rental market like these two, and there are various other ones throughout the country, Big Bears one, the Poconos, is that people have been renting these properties on an overnight basis for decades and decades, well before 
Airbnb or VRBO or before the term short-term rental even existed. So these are areas where the local municipalities have figured out how to monetize these things, usually through an occupancy tax. They figured out how to monetize them well before I was born. These are both areas where there are more short-term rentals than there are permanent residences. So there are areas where it would just be way too detrimental to the local economy for the local municipalities to ever impose any anti-short-term rental regulations. So now let's talk about managing remotely. What has changed in your process over the years for remote management that maybe you've optimized as a result of trial and error? There are so many more automation tools now than when we first started. When we first started, we had to physically email a list of the dates to our cleaner that she had to clean. Now there's plenty of apps that will do that for you. We use just a regular Google Calendar Sync with Airbnb and VRBO, but there's an app called Turnover BNB that will automatically notify your cleaner that she needs to clean that day. Channel managers have really come a long way since we first started. Well, when we started, we had to manually send everyone their door codes, send everyone directions, send everyone checkout instructions. And now we use a channel manager called IGMS, and you can just set up templates to where it will automatically send them a message the day before check-in with their directions and door code and automatically check in on them once during their stay and then automatically send their door code. So there's a lot of automations that are available now that weren't when we first started. What's a challenge of yours right now as a remote manager? I would love to find a price automation tool so that we don't have to manually change our prices. We've tried several and none of them really seemed to work. One tried to book one of my places for Labor Day weekend for well under market a few days ago, and then tried to book my place for off season for way higher than market. So haven't found a price automation tool that we like just yet. So we're still doing that manually, but that's really it. We don't really have any big trip ups at the moment. So let's talk about your portfolio that you've built Now, how many of those doors, I think you said earlier, but I didn't write it down. How many of those doors of the 24 are long-term rentals versus short-term? We have five short-terms that are active. We have one that we're renovating right now that will be a short-term, and then all of the rest are long-terms. Okay. So you have 24 total, correct? Correct. So you have 18 long-term What does that portfolio consist of exactly? So there are two B plus, maybe A minus area rentals, and then the rest are low income. Okay. Single families? A mix of singles and duplexes. And where are they located? Some are in Nashville and then some are in Chattanooga, Tennessee. All right. Which one is your most profitable? The two in Nashville are the most profitable because we bought them before Nashville exploded and the rent went way up. What year? That was right before it exploded. So one was in 2013 and then the other one was in 2016. The first one was technically like a long house hack. The first one we lived in for a few years and then we moved out, converted it to a rental. Okay. And what was the other one? What year? 2016. And what'd you buy it for? 122. 122,000. What's it rent for now? 1,600. 1600 and you manage that as well? 
Yeah, we manage all of our long terms as well. You manage all your long terms. With that property, how much are you making a month? A little under a thousand, so about nine fifty. Wow. So yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that um, was our first one too. Beginner's luck. <laughs> so the mortgage is how much? Six forty seven. Yeah. And you said the rent was sixteen hundred. Yeah. And then there are other expenses too, I imagine, right? Not too terribly much. We've got some really great tenants that one is a traveling musician who's on tour all the time. And then the other one is a chef that goes on tour with big music productions. So they're pretty much never there. So there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of wear and tear going on in that house. Got it. But as far as insurance and taxes, is that all built into the mortgage payment? Yeah, those are escrowed in. Okay. So no repairs or anything. From a management standpoint, since you're managing the property yourself, then you don't have to pay a management fee. But on the flip side, you have to have those responsibilities. What are your thoughts on having a management company in the future? For the long terms or the short terms or both? Either one. For the long terms, I wouldn't mind having a property manager. We actually did try to find one in Chattanooga, but we just couldn't find any. They weren't getting our places rented. And then when we tried to get them rented ourselves, we had no problem. So I'm not sure what the disconnect was there. As for the short terms, it's less than an hour a week for all five of them to be able to manage them from anywhere in the world. All you need is a smartphone and then a good cleaner and a good handy person. And you can build out your vendor list from there. And that's actually what my real estate team does in both markets is we get all of our clients who are buying these short-term rentals set up with cleaners and handymen and everybody they would need to be able to successfully manage remotely and get them all set up with their listings and everything like that so that they can cash flow as much as possible without having to hire a manager. What deal have you lost the most amount of money on? Hmm. Well, we'll see how this rehab goes. (laughs) (laughs) But besides that, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall for us because we haven't screwed up too bad yet. So I feel like it's coming soon. What's the biggest screw up you've done? Um, I think maybe our first low income, we could have done a little bit better job on. It was fully flipped, so it looked really nice, but that's probably our least cash flowing one, but it still does cash flow. But that was definitely a little bit of a learning experience on that one because we didn't need to spend as much as we did on that. Okay. Will you elaborate more on the learning experience and what happened? Yeah. So we were looking in a price range, I would say about 25,000 lower than that one. And the properties weren't as clean looking because they hadn't been flipped. And when we went to rent it, it didn't really make a lot of difference. Now that we have all of our other ones that weren't flips, it didn't really make a lot of difference whether it was fully rehabbed or not. All of our other ones that weren't rehabbed got rented just as easily. So we just learned that we didn't have to pay extra for a flip because it looks nicer in this area that we're buying. So it's a lot to do with the area that you're buying in and the tenant base and what the demand is. Right. Okay. And what'd you buy it for? I don't even want to say because I don't want all the... California has to come in and run me out of my own market. We bought that for 100000 A hundred? Mm-hmm. Okay. In my opinion, that's not cheap. I guess on this show and buy, I think I have one that's like an $8,000 house. So, <laughs> so 100000 is not bad. And where is that located? That's in Chattanooga. And what's it rent for? 
That one rents for nine fifty. Okay. Cool. With low income rental, anything in particular from a management standpoint that you need to pay extra attention to or need to add to your process? We just really like to make sure that people aren't trying to cram too many people into the property than who actually need to be in there. If it's a two bedroom, 10 people don't need to be living there. So we're pretty strict about the number of people that are allowed to live there. But other than that, it's been pretty good. There haven't been too many pitfalls. Are you doing the renovations yourself? Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple relationships with some contractors and some handymen that do everything for us. So we're overseeing it, but we're not actually doing the work. What are some things that you've learned from working with contractors? We have been very lucky that we don't have any horror stories yet, but it's good to show your face every now and then unexpectedly just to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. Taking a step back, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say ready, fire, aim. If you spend too much time analyzing, you're never going to get it done. Sometimes you just have to jump in and learn from experience rather than spreadsheet yourself to death. All right, we're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? I just finished Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I was recommended that book by a friend of mine that's on my list. What was the takeaway you got from it? Well, it really does apply to my real estate sales business a lot because with clients, sometimes it can be very easy for them to get caught up in what they feel like the other side of the transaction is doing to them. They feel like the seller needs to replace this door, even though the property is $25,000 less than anything else they could get. They're going to make more money than anything else. They might walk away from the deal because of one really small thing out of principle and that is a really good book to learn to just take your ego out of it. The other side is not trying to psychologically outwit you. Just focus on the numbers and investing. Or if they are trying to psychologically outwit you, just keep in mind the bottom line for you and what success looks like for the transaction, right? Exactly. Just focus on the numbers and don't engage with the psychological warfare. <laughs> Best ever way you like to give back to the community. In another life, I was a guitar player in a touring punk rock band, and I enjoyed Which one? Oh, it's nothing anybody's ever heard of. It's Google searchable. What is it? What's the name of it? <laughs> the name is NSFW. So <laughs> it was called The Applicators. But okay. I like to volunteer with a nonprofit organization called Girls Rock, and it's just about empowering young girls through music, confidence building kind of thing. Got it. I am on the Applicators Wikipedia page right now. <laughs> and I'm not an original member. Okay, fair enough. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? 
They can find me at theshorttermshop.com. Well, enjoyed our conversation and enjoyed learning more about how you're taking your short-term rental income, putting into long-term rentals, the process that you've used for short-term in particular. Really enjoyed our conversation, Avery. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you so much.